Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. As you know, I'm a real estate investor, so I enjoy talking all things real estate. Many people say they invest in their home when they purchase it, touting it as the biggest investment they may ever make. But is buying the home you live in a good investment? The question is, compared to what? We'll explore the answers to those today on The Whole Steward. Welcome to episode number 22. If you remember last week, I mentioned that I had put a offer on a home in my hometown of San Diego County. And long story short, we did not win the bid. So I have been thinking about this topic for quite some time now, and it's very fresh in my mind again. Renting versus owning. The answer to the question is compared to what? If you were to not purchase the home that you live in, what is your alternative? Well, you may be able to rent a home to live in. You may be able to live with family if you're one of those millennials who are still living at home. Now, we know that the millennials are moving out finally, but there are still some who may live at home. You have a choice. You need to live somewhere. Everybody needs a place to live. That's one of the things that makes real estate investing so great is that everybody needs a roof over their head. It's one of the basic needs of mankind that you have food and shelter. So how do you go about determining are you going to rent or are you going to own? Now, I live in San Diego, and if you know anything about the San Diego market, which is a coastal market in Southern California, it is very expensive. And what do I mean by expensive? Well, compared to some other places, it's not as expensive as those. But remember, real estate is always hyper-local. It is all about the location. You've heard location, location, location. There are many factors that drive the real estate prices in a particular area. San Diego is one where many retirees want to come because the climate is quite temperate compared to some other places. We have mild winters and pleasant summers. The economy of San Diego is quite diverse. We have a huge military presence here. We have defense contracting. We have medical and manufacturing. There are a lot of things that drive the San Diego economy. Geographically, it's kind of an island. San Diego has the Mexico border on the south. We have Camp Pendleton on the north. We have the Pacific Ocean on the west. And we have the Laguna Mountains and Palomar Mountain on the east. So you look at the landmass then. There's three main freeways that go in and out. That's the 5, the 15, and the 8 freeways. And those are really your main ways by vehicle in and out. You also have the coastline. So you can get in and out via the coastline as well. Or you can fly in. Those are your choices, really. 
And so you have an island. There's a limited amount of real estate and it's a very desirable place to live. So the prices are high. They're high compared to what? That's the question. Compared to what? I say they're high. Well, you might say, oh, they're low. I live in San Francisco and the prices are low here in San Diego compared to that. So the question is compared to what? Well, let's answer that question. What I want to do is compare it to income. Let's look at the median price of a home compared to the median household income. We'll look at three different markets. One is the San Diego market. Now, depending on where you live, you might want to sit down for this number, but the median price of a home sold in San Diego in 2023, April, was $830,000. For many of you, that may sound like a lot. Some of you, that might sound like a little, but let's compare it to the median household income in San Diego County. The median household income in 2022 was $88,000. So look at that as a ratio. You'll do $830,000 divided by $88,000. That is a ratio of 9.4. So the median price of a home is 9.4 times the median income of the people living in this area. Let's look at another market. How about Dallas-Fort Worth in Texas? The median price of a home sold there is $346,000. This is all on Realtor.com. And the median household income is $58,000. So we will do 346 divided by 58. And that is a ratio of 5.9 or actually 6. So whereas we had 9.4 times the median income for San Diego to buy a house, you only need 6 times the median income in Dallas to buy a house. One market that I invest in is the Birmingham, Alabama area. The price there is 190k for the median price of a home and the median income, household income is 39k. So you divide 190k divided by 39k and you get 4.9 so we had 9.4, 6, and 4.9. That means that compared to the income of the households, the homes or the houses are more affordable in some markets than others. And San Diego, compared to the three that we looked at, is absolutely the most expensive. Now you will say, well, Andrew, it's very obvious why. Wouldn't you much rather live in San Diego than these other two markets? Well, depending on who you are, you may say yes or no, but it depends on what's important to you. If sunshine and the beach is important to you, you're not getting much of that in Birmingham or Dallas, but you will get a lot of it and very nice amounts of it in San Diego. So 
There are many things. Those are just examples. There are many things that drive those factors. For me and my wife, we have family in San Diego. And that's a huge driving factor for what keeps us around in San Diego. Family is very important to us. And so we are still living here near family. Setting all the personal factors aside all the personal reasons why you would choose to live in one place or another, let's just look at the financial aspects of this prospect. If you want to own in San Diego, you better be willing to pay almost 10 times the median income for a median-priced home. So that means you're going to be spending a much larger portion of your income on housing, living in this city. And for a lot of people, that's okay. If you don't purchase your home, what is the alternative? Well, most likely the main alternative to purchasing the home that you live in is renting the home that you live in. Now, let's look at a very important metric that is a rule of thumb that I use as a real estate investor. And that is the rent to value ratio. We looked at value to income. Now let's look at rent to value. Rent is the fee that you pay to the owner to live in the property. And you get to live in and use the property basically as if it was your own, depending on how much flexibility you have. Functionally, there are a few differences of renting versus owning. And we'll look at those a little bit later, but let's look at the financial aspect first. The median rent in San Diego is $3,350 per month. If you look at Dallas-Fort Worth, that is $2,100 per month. And in Birmingham, Alabama, that would be $1,175 per month. So let's look at those in terms of a ratio. A ratio of rent to value. Okay. We will take 3350 which is the rent, divided by 830000 which is the price of the properties. These are both median values. So you get a median rent-to-value of 0.4% in San Diego. Now let's look at Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. We do 2,100 divided by 346K. We get a rent-to-value of 0.61%. And then in Alabama, Birmingham area, we have a rent of 1175 divided by 190K, and that rent-to-value is 0.62%. So the rent-to-value ratio is a good rule of thumb to see how much does it cost to rent the home versus how much does it cost to purchase the home. And you can see that those ratios are different in different markets. 
the lower the ratio is, the lower the rent is compared to purchasing. So in San Diego, it is a 0.4% rent to value ratio. That means you will get 0.4% of the value in rent every month. When you go to Dallas, Texas, it is 0.61%. And if you go to Birmingham, Alabama, it is 0.62%. That means that the rent is higher in Alabama compared to the purchase price, whereas the rent is lower in San Diego compared to the purchase price. Now, you will say to me, well, Andrew, there are a lot of other perks to owning a home. That is true. Yes, when you own a home, you can write off the interest and taxes. When you own a home, you can write off the interest of the loan. You can fix one of your largest expenses, which is your mortgage payment for 30 years. And so there are financial benefits to owning a home. Those are incentives that the government makes to encourage you to purchase your home. However, let's look in detail at how these shake out in the long run. We need to be very consistent here in our comparison. Now, if you're not aware, I rent the home that I live in with my family, but I own properties out of state. And many people would say, why in the world would you do that? Why would you not own the home you live in, but own other homes that other people live in? What a strange thing. We'll need to put our thinking caps on next on The Whole Steward. Hey there, it's Andrew. I pour a lot into The Whole Steward, and I'm so humbled you're listening. Did you know I regularly post new articles to our website? I also send the Holistic Approach to Wealth newsletter once a week, to which you can subscribe at thewholesteward.com newsletter. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the show, would you share it with a friend or leave us a review? I'd really appreciate it. Oh, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to The Whole Steward. Thanks for sticking around. Let's put our thinking caps on for a moment and really dive into everything that is involved in home ownership. And if you're going to invest in real estate, you really should understand this very thoroughly because in order to make any business work, you really kind of need to understand it. So let's look at the true costs of home ownership, whether you own it as a rental or you own it as your primary residence. Let's start with a primary residence, okay? I'm going to use the home that I currently live in as an example. It was built in 1989, and it sold for $189,000 in 1989. Now, let's try to identify all of the costs associated with owning this home. And let's be fair about it, okay? First of all, you need to come up with a down payment. Let's assume you put 20% down. I know you can put less than that, but for the sake of this example, let's assume 20% down. 
because that is the traditional amount that one would put down. If you put less than that, you will be paying mortgage insurance, which is an extra payment on top of your principal and interest, which is de-risking the lender because you are putting less down. But let's assume you put 20%. So that down payment is $37,800. Now remember, the year is 1989. So $37,800 is quite a bit of money. Nowadays, that won't even buy you a new car. But back then, it was a significant amount of change. You needed to save that up and have it in liquid funds to put it as a down payment. Now, let's assume you have some closing costs, about $1,890 at the time. And because it's a new home, you're going to need to do some uh, work to finish the home, like put in the yard, uh, do the landscaping, etc. So let's say another $10,000 for that. Your initial costs are about $39,690 and then an additional $10,000 shortly after. However, keep in mind, these are not necessarily sunk costs. The closing costs are, but you do have 20% equity in the home when you start. Now, there are going to be, throughout the ownership of this home, various costs to own the home, like annual maintenance costs, yard maintenance costs. You're going to have insurance and property taxes. Then, of course, you're going to have your mortgage payment. That is the principal and interest payment. I also include another category, which is management. And you might say, well, Andrew, I'm not going to pay a property manager to manage my own property. I'm going to do it myself. I take care of my own property. Okay, but as we've discussed before, your time is worth something. And when you're doing a compared to what comparison, you need to factor in that you will be spending that time and energy and effort in managing your property. You'll be the one fixing the toilets, hanging the towel racks, fixing the leak, uh, you know, painting the walls, whatever maintenance you have that you do yourself, there, there is a value to that. So whether you are paying a property manager to manage your property for you as a rental, or if you're managing your own property, either as a primary residence or a rental, we will account for that value. Now, the maintenance, let's try to be accurate about what it might cost. I estimate 1% of the value of the property per year. So on this property in 1989, that would be an annual maintenance of $1,964 to begin with. And that price goes up as the price of goods and services go up over time. So it's always about 1% of whatever the value of the property is. You might say, well, that sounds a little high. Well, this includes everything that you have to do to maintain your property. This includes the paint wearing out, the carpet wearing out, leaky faucets and leaky toilets. It includes leaky roofs and your AC, 
You may make insurance claims for some big items, but you still have your deductibles to pay. So this amount includes all of those things, everything it costs over time. You need to repaint the fence in the backyard. You have termite damage. You need to replace the flooring or grease the hinges on the cabinets. Everything and anything that is required to maintain the property. Now, some homeowners will allow their properties to go into disrepair, but this cost is still here. It's called deferred maintenance, and it's still a real cost, even though you may be deferring it. Then, of course, you have the yard maintenance, and your yards will vary depending on... You may say, well, I mow my own lawn and I trim my own bushes. Okay, again, uh, what would it cost to have somebody do that because that's the cost and you either pay it yourself in your time and effort and sweat or you have somebody else do it so i estimate a small percentage of the value of the home for that in 1989 it starts at 432 dollars a year and in over the course of 30 years by the end it's running you about 1300 dollars a year that is definitely on the low side for this property. So I'm trying to be conservative, but at the same time, let's account for it. Then, of course, you have your insurance and your taxes. They both go up uh, over time. They pin it somewhat to inflation. Uh, the insurance is whatever insurance rates are. And then your principal and interest stays fixed. So one big advantage is the largest expense is fixed for 30 years. And we're going to assume that we hold this property for 30 years. This is a long-term, quote-unquote, investment. Okay, so we're paying all these expenses annually. We did our initial down payment, and we are building equity. We are building equity over time. Yeah. As you make principal payments, you pay down the principal balance of your loan. You build equity. Also, as the property appreciates, you also build equity that way. We're going to assume uh, a real appreciation of 3.94% over 30 years. And you say, well, how'd you get that? Well, I know because the property just happened to sell in the real market 30 years after it was built and purchased the first time. So we have real numbers. It sold for 189 in 1989 and then it sold again in 2019 for 603k. That is a 3.94% appreciation per year on average. So where do we stand after 10 years? Well, after 10 years, you will have accumulated about $236,594 in costs, but you will have been building equity. Your equity at that point actually would be about $148,000 in equity. This home did have an addition added onto it. Hey, that builds the value of the house, yes. But we estimate a $40,000 addition was made to the home. It's a large studio home, it has a half bath, and they added RV parking and a 
large concrete driveway was poured for that. So we estimate $40,000, let's say in year 12. By year 20, you will have paid about $488,000 in real costs, cumulative costs, and you will have about $323,000 in equity. And by year 30, you will have paid $735,000 in real cumulative costs. That includes your down payment, all your expenses, your mortgage payments. That includes the addition that was made, all the maintenance and management, taxes, insurance, all of that stuff. You are in it all in for $735,000. Now, were you to sell the property at year 30, it would sell for $603,000. What does that mean? Well, you're all in for $735,000 and you sell it for $603,000. You're selling it for less than what you purchased it for. Now, you own the property outright because you were paying your mortgage for 30 years. So that $603,000, that is all cash. But over the course of that time, you had put $735,000 in. Now, remember, there are tax savings associated with the write-off on the interest. So let's account for those. We account for assuming a 20% tax bracket. That's about $57,000 in taxes that you save over the course of those years. Now, remember, when you sell the property for $603,000, you also have some closing costs. You have the transfer fees and transfer taxes and closing costs, but you also have real estate agent fees. Those usually run about 6%. So let's assume that the net proceeds of the sale are $524,600 because you do have those large transaction fees on the selling side. So what that comes out to then, since you put 735,000 in and you have a net proceeds of 524,000, you paid about $153,000 to live there. That comes out to about $5,000 a year or $426 a month. Now, let me tell you something. That's a pretty good deal. If you lived in a house for 30 years and you paid $426 a month to live there in San Diego, you might say, wow, that's great. It was a great investment. Well, it still cost money. Actually, it wasn't much of an investment at all. The housing that you live in is actually an expense. Now, what could we possibly compare this to? Well, let's pretend rather than purchasing this home in 1989, you were to actually have rented the very same said home for 30 years. Let's rent this house for 30 years at the going market rent. Now, we already looked at the rent-to-value ratio. I'm going to assume that the rent-to-value ratio is about the same, although I'm going to assume it's a little bit higher, just to be fair, because prices are a little bit on the high end right now. Usually San Diego runs somewhere between 0.4 and 0.5% rent to value. So let's assume 0.46% 
to be fair. Now, renting looks very different. You're not actually on the hook for the maintenance or anything like that because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the homeowner and the homeowner is the one who's responsible for the maintenance. Also, you're not responsible for the down payment. You get to move in for usually about a one month's rent deposit. So you have much less that you need to put down in the beginning. Now, the interesting thing about this example is that I'm going to assume you had the same amount of cash available. You had about that, that $40,000 that was required for the down payment and closing costs, and you had the additional $10,000 that you would have spent on putting in the yard, the yard work, um, or the landscaping, I should say. And let's assume that instead of putting that money into the down payment, you invested the money at a reasonable return. Now, we've looked at in previous episodes where you could possibly get a return like this. Uh, but let's assume that you get a reasonable 10% internal rate of return. Yeah, so you invest your money at 10%. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that the monthly expense for renting is less at the beginning than it would have been to own because you don't have all these maintenance things and the mortgage payment and all that stuff. You just have the rent and that's it. So you do have a little bit of extra cash left over at the beginning to invest. So let's invest our initial down payment. Let's invest the additional 10000 that we would have done the landscaping with. And let's invest about $6,000 a year spare that we are saving in rent. Let's assume this home would rent for, at a 0.46% rent-to-value ratio, about $900 a month at the beginning. And you need to put about one month's deposit down. So you need about $1,700 down. And you're going to pay, at the beginning, somewhere around $11,000 a year in rent. Now, at the beginning, your rent is actually less than all the monthly expenses. So you're going to be saving a little bit of extra money that you can invest. However, rent goes up over time. Rent is gonna go up generally with the rent to value ratio. So I'm gonna track it to the value and we're gonna assume a 0.46% rent to value. And I understand that these fluctuate and sometimes they trail each other uh, and sometimes they lead. When the housing market was crashing and people were forced to rent, rents went up while values go down, and sometimes it's the other way around. We'll leave that discussion for another day, but just assume for sake of simplicity that we'll have a constant rent-to-value ratio over the 30 years. Now, over time, your rent will go up, but your mortgage will stay the same. So eventually, right around year 20, you won't be saving anything. In fact, your rent will be higher than your monthly expenses would have been, and you'll actually be paying more in rent for the last 10 years uh, every year than you would be as a homeowner. However, for the first 20 years, you were saving a little bit and you were investing that along the way. So let's assume those things. Over the course of those 30 years, you will have paid $600,000 in rent. Wow, that sounds like a lot of money, but the investment 
portfolio with an internal rate of return would be worth $1.7 million. Yes, 30 years, invest in the initial 40000 and the additional savings that you are getting, it would be worth $1.7 million. So you will have paid six hundred k in rent, but your portfolio is $1.7 million. So your final nominal cash flow was a positive $1.1 million. Where as a homeowner, you were paying $426 a month to live there, which is not bad for a nice three-bedroom, two-bath house in suburban San Diego. If you had rented the same said house and invested the money at a 10% return, you would have been positive by $3,188 per month because your portfolio is now $1.7 million and you only paid $600,000 in rent. So what this says then is that the opportunity cost from just a dollar standpoint, dollar for dollar, is very great for putting that money into equity in the house that you're living in. Now, there's a lot of factors that go into your choice of renting versus owning. When you own the property that you live in, it's yours. You get to do with it as you wish. If you want to change the color of the walls or change the flooring or uh, upgrade the landscaping or upgrade the light fixtures, whatever you want to do, you can do that at any time. You can make it your own. You can make a garden in your backyard. A lot of times landlords will be flexible on those things. And sometimes you can come to a compromise as a renter uh, to get some of those preferences if you care about them. However, you do not have the same pride in ownership, the same hominess to the home, knowing that it's yours. The other factor is that the landlord may want to sell the property and could ask you to leave at any time. If they give you a 30-day notice to vacate the property, then you need to vacate. and They can terminate the lease and sell the property at any time. You may not like living in fear of having to move at a moment's notice. That is a huge factor. Also, you may want to have a little bit more land where your children can play uh, in a different situation. So some of this is a lifestyle choice. As a renter, I don't spend my weekends doing house maintenance. Period. Full stop. I just don't. I don't do any of my yard work. I don't do any of the house maintenance. Well, I do very minor things to keep things moving, but the major house maintenance, I don't do any of that. Uh, Usually, the landlord is having professionals come in and fix the plumbing, fix the roof, fix those things. I have owned two different primary residences in San Diego, and I spent a lot of time doing the maintenance myself and 
certainly you can save money that way, but you spend your time. So part of this is a lifestyle choice as well. I'm revisiting all this because it's always good to stop and reflect, to think, am I where the Lord wants me to be? Am I spending my time on the things he wants me to spend my time on? And in my case, I like to find unique properties that are not necessarily listed in a traditional way, and you can get a better deal on those properties. But let me tell you just a quick anecdotal story. We had a property come available near where we used to own, and it is a a nice area. My wife and I and the kids really liked the area. And it had a manufactured home on the property, and it was allowed to go into disrepair. The yard was very overgrown. The interior was in need of flooring and paint and at a minimum of a good deep cleaning. It also had a lot of stuff left from the previous owner in the property. And so we wrote a very aggressive offer that said we would take care of all those things. So in our case, it would have been a value add play. The property in good repair would be worth much more than that, uh, than what we were offering. We were offering to add that value to the deal. We made an offer of 450000 However, the price got bid up to a max of five sixty, and went far above that, up to five eighty five. Our offer was $375 per square foot. But the winning bid on the property bid up to $487 per square foot. That is a massive amount of money above what we had offered. And so we backed out. It will be interesting to see what the property sells for. But this property is not a traditional stick-built home. And it was in disrepair and it was still selling for $487 a square foot, and that with multiple offers. As my wife and I consider these things, we look at renting versus owning, and we say, wow, the cost of housing with a 0.4% rent-to-value ratio, if you consider all the factors, you consider the down payment, the mortgage payments, and the maintenance the carrying costs of the property. It is about half the price to rent versus own. And this is a comparison of the exact same property. Now, when we look at properties to own as an investor, what we want to know is the answer to the question, is the property more expensive to rent or to own. If it's more expensive to own it than it is to rent it, how can you make money on an asset that costs more to own it than you can get an income? On the flip side, if it costs more to rent it than it does to own it, that difference is your profit margin. As you consider properties whether it's as a primary residence, barring all the other considerations, looking at the financial side of it, 
if you're thinking, hey, Andrew, you should have bought that home in 1989 and held on to it for 30 years and paid your mortgage off, well, we looked at the example of what it would have been, $400 a month to live there. If you said, well, what's the alternative? How about if you had rented that same home for 30 years? If you had rented the same home for 30 years and invested the difference, you would be sitting in a much better position financially. Now, this is all theory. I realize that real life gets, gets uh, in the way and there are many factors uh, that we're considering. For example, you may want to spend more on your housing for a lifestyle improvement for the sake of the children for the sake of ownership, for the sake of customizing your home and doing the things with the land that you dream of doing. All those things can bring joy and satisfaction and great benefit to your family. And those are considerations that we consider very seriously. That's why we are always on the lookout for property as a primary residence. But at the end of the day, it may be confusing why one would rent their primary residence and own real estate investment property out of state even. Well, now you know why. Here's one example. This example doesn't hold perfectly for every property. It's a fascinating thought exercise. Now, if you live in an area where it is cheaper to own than it is to rent, then I highly encourage you from a financial standpoint to put together the down payment funds to own the property because it's cheaper to own it than it is to rent it. And if you live in one of those markets, consider yourself blessed because that way you can have the pride in ownership, the customization, and the affordability. For those of us who live in markets where it's more expensive to own than it is to rent, well, we have a choice. And there's a lot of factors that inform that choice. If you have any questions about today or any insights that I may have missed, please send them in, letters at thewholesteward.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks for putting your thinking cap on today with me. It's been a fun ride. Until next week, now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.